Welcome, or welcome back, to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. I'm going to repeat that. You know, sometimes I like to emphasize things. I'm going to repeat my intro. Welcome, or welcome back, to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development, an eye on player development, an eye on player development. If you are principally and solely interested in the Chicago Cubs of the National League. I'm not going to say you shouldn't listen to this podcast. You'll still pick up some stuff that's probably useful, but there are probably going to be podcasts elsewhere that might be more up your alley. Yes, you see how I'm saying that? I'm being honest. There are probably podcasts that might be more up your alley if you are solely interested in the major league angle of things. This is one about player development, getting the team from here to there. From here to there. Tonight's podcast is about the rebuild, the owner, the general manager, and tactics. It's not going to be, I'm going to talk about this one here, this one here, this one here, this one here, one, two, three, four, you know, kind of like a sermon or a... um, research project report or something like that. This is about player development. Player development is what turns Manny Rodriguez from a 17-year-old in Mexico with some giddy-up on his fastball to being able to throw 98-99 on the edges, and snap off a filthy slider at 90. And oh, by the way, once in a while, his pitch is kind of back into the right-handed hitter. So if the guy's diving out over the plate, he's going to wear one in the jaw. Developing players is what this podcast is about. This was a brutal week. This was a brutal week, especially the last couple of days. Anthony Rizzo, gone. Chris Bryant, gone. Javier Baez, gone. Craig Kimbrell, gone. Basically the highest bidder. It was brutal. Completely devoid of any level of emotion. None. No emotion at all. And if that's what you're looking for, that's exactly what it was about. The Cubs in 2011, very, 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 very late, 2011, had very little to go with. Very little to go with. 
They had a Starlin Castro here, Jeff Samarja there. Aramis Ramirez was around. Carlos Zambrano hadn't entirely melted down yet. The Cubs didn't have a whole lot. They didn't have a whole lot. And when Tom Ricketts decided to open up, well, Jim Hendry left. Jim Hendry, I'm pretty sure he was asked to not return once the 2011 draft was completed. A couple days later, Randy Bush, who was the assistant GM, was put in charge in a um, temporary status through the end of the season. And at the end of the season, Tom Ricketts looked for the person who he thought was going to be the best at running the pipeline. And he turned it over to Theo Epstein, as we know. And Theo Epstein ran the place, ran the pipeline in a somewhat apparently um, an emotional fashion. You don't let go of Ramos Ramirez. He's gone. You can't... You know, people wanted... Jed Hoyer to spend aggressively. Uh, Theo Epstein to spend aggressively. But that was not the plan, at least not on the major league roster. The aggressive spending went toward the draft, went toward international signings, and the players that were brought in in free agency, as often as not, were brought in as temporary fill-ins. And if that temporary fill-in had done well through July, he was traded away. The entire plan for Theo Epstein was to develop... I'm going to use the term. I don't want to use the term. But I'm going to use the term because it will... Boy, I really don't want to use the term. Theo Epstein wanted to develop a core group of prospects, a core group of young players who understood what the goal was. Some of those players, as it turned out, were already in-house. Javier Baez was around, though there were things that needed to be done. Wilson Contreras was already around though there were some things that needed to be done. And eventually it took because the Cubs had enough young players coming through all at the same time that were good, that were really good, that were all-star good, that they had Chris Bryant who was MVP good, was immensely helpful. But having three or four all-star level players 
Kyle Hendricks was an all-star level player. Didn't make an all-star game, still hasn't. But he's a, he was an all-star level player. Chris Bryant, all-star level player. Javier Baez, all-star level player. Um, Addison Russell, all-star level player. Anthony Rizzo was an all-star level player. Rizzo was making $5 million a year in 2016. The others were making league minimum. Four players making league minimum or so that were all-star players. What that allows the team to do, what that allowed the team to do, they could figure out what do we need to finish this bad boy off. What is necessary to get this thing to go? What moves the needle? They brought in John Lester, John Lackey, Jason Hayward, and it worked. That part was big. The reason John Lester, Jason Hayward, John Lackey, and others wanted to come to the Cubs was because the players looked to see what's going on here. They started to see, wait a minute. Anthony Rizzo is going to be good for a long time. Chris Bryant's going to be good for a long time. Javier Baez might be really good for a long time. Kyle Hendricks looks really good for a, like he'll be good for a long time. Addison Russell should be good for a long time if he doesn't melt down. So players wanted to come to the Cubs because the Cubs had players that were very good and very young. Now you can't tell by watching one or two box scores from an Arizona League game if a guy is going to be that good. You can't. It doesn't work that way. Over a long stretch of time, if a player does well at one level, then you kind of expect he might do well at the next level. It's basically how it works. I, at least for me, I don't play the... I've seen a guy play one game in low A or three games in low A or 17 games in low A. So because of that, in, oh, let's pull a number, 22 and a half months, he's going to be in the major leagues. I, I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. But if I'm seeing that a player is playing at advanced A and ripping it to shreds. When he gets to the next level up, he might be okay. I'm not going to go any further than that. If he's shredding one letter, level, you know, you get out ahead of lettuce, you take out the knife, bam, 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 bam. All of a sudden you have shredded lettuce. That, that's what some people do to certain levels. Pitcher, hitter, whichever, doesn't matter. If the Cubs get to a point where they have a number of players who, this guy's looking really good. This guy is looking really good. That's helpful. For instance, Brennan Davis, he's looking really good at double A. Now, does that mean he's going to be a superstar at the major league level? Of course not. Stuff happens. Injuries happen. 
But Brandon Davis looks like he's probably on the right trajectory. But one all-star, even if Brandon Davis is an all-star, which he's far from right now, one all-star is not going to get it done. For the Cubs to get to the point where they want to get, they have to have a lengthy string of players who look like, hmm, this guy could be really good. And that guy over there, he might be really good. And that guy over there, he might be better than either of those two guys. How are the Cubs doing as far as that? How are the Cubs right now doing as far as that sort of a thing? Um, in the Arizona League, which is, honestly, the Arizona League is where many of the Cubs' primary options seem to be. Owen Casey is smashing the ball. He was a second-round pick in 2020 by San Diego. Came over in the U Darvish trade. He's doing really well. Now, does that mean he's going to do really well at double eight? No, it doesn't. Of course not. But he is doing really well as a first year in the Arizona League. And at some point, he should he 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 should be in Myrtle Beach. Um, Reggie Preciado. Uh, Casey is a right fielder, certainly can play, could probably play left field, might do a bit of playing first base along the line, also possibly might DH, you never know, but if the bat plays, the bat plays. So, he's doing better than the Arizona League. Okay. Reggie Preciado, shortstop third baseman, probably more of a third baseman. Um, he's also doing quite well in the Arizona League. He also should probably be in Myrtle Beach right now, but he's not. So as of right now, he's still in the Arizona League. Cubs just acquired Kevin Alcantara over the trade week insanity. And he's the center fielder that if I were to link him to a player currently in the Cubs pipeline, it will probably be to Reggie Preciado. If the Cubs end up having, for instance, Kevin Alcantara and Owen Casey and Reggie Preciado in the same lineup in the Arizona League in the next couple of weeks, and they might, they could combine to make people cry. <laughs> They're... Uh, Preciado today drew a walk, which uh, was arguably better to see than any of a number of things. It, Preciado actually draws walks. There are a lot of young players who don't draw walks. Preciado does. Walked, stole second, stole third, scored on an errant throw. Um, Preciado and Casey have been um, brutalizing pitching at that level. Neither belongs there. They should both get moved up. They haven't been. Now you toss in Kevin Alcantara, who is similar to those two. Now, does that mean they will be fantastic in two years in South Bend? Does that specifically, specifically guaranteed mean that? No, of course not. Of course not. 
But what the Cubs are starting to do is back up players who might have upside at the full season levels. In the Javier Baez trade, which was a gut punch, an absolute gut punch. Solar plexus, bam! Gut punch. The player the Cubs received in return was Pete Crow Armstrong. Talked about him briefly today. He's a center fielder, and when I say he's a center fielder, he's a center fielder. That's not, that's not the question. With a lot of players, you have some things that this stuff we know. For instance, Owen Casey, very good power hitter. People knew that. He was a very good power hitter, at least before the game. People knew you throw him 75, he can mash it. The question was, was that going to translate to in-games? He's been hitting doubles. He's been hitting homers. He's been drawing walks. He's been fantastic. Some of those questions, at least at the very low levels, are starting to go away a little tiny bit. Pete Crow Armstrong will be able to play center field. He will be able to play center field. He will be able to throw from center field. I think I heard somewhere along the lines that if he was banned by an act of Congress from playing center field, he could probably throw well enough to play right field. Not necessarily a strong right field arm, but he could get it done. So Pete Crow Armstrong, the defense, not really the question. Speed, not really the question. The question is, can he hit? In a major league spring training game, in, well, excuse me. Wow. Uh, March of 2021, banged a triple to right center field. Yeah, I think all of Tim's ideas that Pete Crow Armstrong might not be able to hit, might have been Tim being wrong. Um, Pete Crow Armstrong will most likely be a center fielder for South Bend in 2022. He's done for the season for this year. Collarbone, I think it was. Uh, One of those where, yeah, he's done for the year, but it's not going to really, it shouldn't really affect him uh, into the future. So, let's say uh, Pete Crow Armstrong played six games in low A, just out of high school, kind of like Ed Howard. Pete Crow Armstrong played six games in low A, just like Ed Howard did. Pete Crow Armstrong's OPS was like 1,013. Yeah, it was only six games but it really did sound like he was going to be able to hit. So let's say 2022, May, early June, Brennan Davis is hitting the heck out of the ball in AAA. Can't move up to the major leagues necessarily because there isn't necessarily any major league games. There's just 
you know, <laughs> a strike going on or a lockout or whatever. But all the minor league teams are playing. So Brendan Davis knocking the crap out of the ball in um, AAA. Pete Crow Armstrong goes to South Bend, starts hitting the heck out of the ball. Now, does that mean he will necessarily be fantastic? No, no, never said that. It, it indicates that he might be able to do well at the next level, but things happen. So let's say Owen Casey and Kevin Alcantara and Reggie Preciado are in Myrtle Beach in 2022, and they're beating the snot out of the ball. See how that starts to work? If you start having three, four, five, six guys who are doing well, it bodes well for the future. And I hear you asking, what about the pitching? What about the pitching? Where are the pitchers going to come from? Well, was it Brent Killian? Who was acquired in the Chris Bryant trade? Is already pitching very well at the double-A level. Already, this is his first pro season. First pro season, he's already pitching well in double-A. Possibly he gets into the Cubs system and is horrible or, you know, whatever. The goal with a pipeline, the goal with a rebuild, the goal with what the Cubs are trying to do right now Locate future talent, future talent that could well be all-star level talent at the major league level, all in about the same period of time. Not necessarily the exact same week, the exact same year, but generally kind of getting to the point where yeah, these guys are kind of doing all right. Uh, Cubs first round draft pick this year, Jordan Wicks. Kind of a boring left-hander, I'm going to say that. Um, how's he going to do? I don't know if he's going to pitch this year or not. Uh, there would be upsides to that happening. There would be upsides to not having that happen. But uh, if the Cubs get about developing... Starting pitching, left-handed pitchers, right-handed pitchers, starters, relievers. Oh, yeah, they're kind of doing okay on relief pitchers. Tommy Nance, Manny Rodriguez, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson. Well, they might be starters. Um, but no, the, the relievers are starting to look relatively good, which is a good thing. Um... If the Cubs back up enough quality, enough pitching quality, enough hitting quality, enough outfielders, enough fast guys, enough power guys, enough guys that can go first to third on singles and score from first on a double, all that kind of stuff. If they have enough good players developing, then throw in a guy like Nelson Maldonado, who I don't know if he's ever going to be able to play defense at all. But my goodness gracious, can he hit double-A pitching? Jared Young is hitting double-A pitching. Will he ever? I don't know. But if the Cubs start to develop enough talent, as of today, 
with all the completed trades. Per Fangraphs, who does all the homework, all the homework, and Eric Longenhagen's book on future value. Who do you, who do you write that with? Was that uh, Kevin Goldstein? I can't remember. It is a fantastic book. You should read it. Or listen to it on tape like I did. Um, they, go, they, they do all the homework. They base, you know, they, they use the 20-80 scale. 20 being is absolute garbage. 80 being is better than anybody else in the league. And uh, players get assessments based, you know, 60 fastball, 40 curveball, all, all that kind of stuff. And you just... They, they put all the stuff together. They do the research. They go out. They watch things. They take notes. They argue stuff. And, uh, oh, well, okay, this guy's a 45. This guy here, he's a 35 plus. And depending upon whether he's a hitter or he's a pitcher, based on what his ranking is, he has a certain value. The Cubs had been comically bad in pipeline rankings. Comically bad. In pipeline rankings for a long time. Basically, since they traded uh, Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez, they've been much toward the bottom. Justifiably slow. So, rightly so. They are putting things back together. Now they are ninth, ninth ranked in fan graphs, and along with that being ninth ranked in fan graphs, nobody's even close to graduating. Nobody's even close to being deleted from the list because the only guys that are at the major league level aren't close. You know, Manny Rodriguez, well, he's pitched in one game. He's not going to get, he's not going to lose his rookie status for a while. Um, it's Starting to get there. It's starting to get there. DJ Hers has pitched quite well in Myrtle Beach. He's had a couple of rugged outings. He's also played against a really tough schedule. And he has the ability to, from the left side, start and throw 94, 95. That seems useful. They're getting there. This week was brutal. The players, the Cubs, got back in trade. Few, if any of you, were aware of more than two of the names the Cubs got back in return. I was aware of a couple of them. But when I saw the Anthony Rizzo return, I looked at the names like, I have no idea who these guys are. I had just completely no idea. And I did the research, found out a little bit about them. Looked at the names in the Jake Arrieta, uh, in the um, Chris Bryant trade. No idea. Who are these guys? Did a little bit of research, found out a little bit about them. One of the things the Cubs have done is picked up a couple of players who are already on the 40-man roster. One of them is Alexander Vizcaino, acquired in the Anthony Rizzo trade. One of them is, oh, wow. The guy's name flashed into my mind and then sprinted out, just as I was going to say it. Um, 
he's the out, he's an outfielder from the Giants organization. And the guy that the Cubs got in exchange for Jake Mariznick is similarly a pitcher who is like about 24, 25, and he's pitching in advanced A ball right now. So he's on the 40-man roster, but he's really nowhere near major leagues. So the Cubs have had a couple of players like that recently. And what they're doing with those players, they have ability, which is why they were added to the 40-man roster, and that's why they added them. Maybe it'll pan out, maybe it won't. And sometimes people will say, prospect huggers, you think all of the prospects are going to pan? No, I don't. I know that quite a few of them are going to wash out and do absolutely nothing or start to do well, then disappoint. You'll look at uh, Patrick Wisdom. He's having a fantastic year. How will he do next year? I have no idea. I'm not that smart. But when you're putting together a rebuild, when you're ripping everything back down to the sub-basement, you're just starting all over again. It's painful. But I just wrote down before I did the podcast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams with their winning percentages. There are five American League teams that are, I'm going to use the term bad. The Tigers, 472. The Royals, 441. The Twins, 417. Winning percentages, these are. Orioles, 353. Rangers, 353. Now, in the National League, Cubs, 476. Nationals, 466. Marlins, 427. Rockies, 427. Pirates, 379. And the Diamondbacks, 311. Pulling the bottom seven. Eighth place would be the Royals at 441. In ninth place would be the Nationals at 466. The Tigers are in 10th place at 472. And the Cubs are in 11th place at 476. Now, there is a very decent chance the Cubs, between now and the end of the season, will not win a whole lot of baseball games. There's a possibility. There is that possibility. And... The league, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, whether it is good for the game or bad for the game, Major League Baseball does not punish a team for having a horrible record. Hey, that's how it works. Kind of stupid if you ask me, but if you have a crappy record, you get to pick earlier, you get to spend more money on your draft choices. And those are two of the easiest ways to quickly reboot your organization. So I, I don't know if you want to take a wild guess at 
what the Cubs' winning percentage will be at the end of the season. You're, you're certainly welcome to guess. Um, I'm not going to take it that far. But I'm looking at these 11 teams. I don't know that they will be the 11 worst at the end of the year because Detroit's playing pretty well. Kansas City's had some decent runs. Uh, the Nationals and the Cubs, they... Um, but yeah, it will be interesting to see how it plays through. And one thing that sounds like it will be news in about two days, the New York Mets, who drafted 10th this cycle, drafted Kumar Rocker, and it sounds like Kumar Rocker will not sign because there are some medical questions. And the Mets don't necessarily want to throw a whole bunch of money at a player who might need, might need Tommy John surgery right away. Um, or, or possibly even worse. I don't know. So if the Mets, who drafted 10th in July, end up getting another draft pick as a compensation pick for Rocker not signing, that would go to spot 11. So as you count down the teams, I just ran off 11 of them, whoever has the ninth pick, or whoever has the ninth worst record will get the ninth draft pick. Whoever has the tenth worst record will get the tenth draft pick. Whoever has the eleventh worst record will get the twelfth draft pick because the eleventh pick would then go to the New York Mets. So, what's the Cubs' record going to be at the end of the year? I don't know. But I'm at the point now where I trust Jim Kantrovitz about as much as anybody I, as I trust in the entire Cubs organization as far as getting quality from a draft pick. Now, who will that be? Next June, we will, June or July, we'll find out. We'll find out when that happens. But um, as you look at the Cubs ripping everything apart, I, I'm completely good with you being mad at them trading Anthony Rizzo or them trading Javier Baez or them trading anybody. I'm completely good with you being angry at them doing that. I'm completely good with you saying I'm not going to watch Cubs games until I have a reason to. I'm completely good with it. There is a madness to the method. There is a method to the madness. Jed Hoyer did his job this week. He was not going to trade short-term players for short-term players. Even the trade with the White Sox, where he didn't get prospects back. He got players who have a long time before they're going to become free agents. The goal is to have players on your team who are basically league minimum all-stars. Those aren't necessarily the only players you want to have being all-stars. But you want to have 
a player or two or three on your roster who are making basically league minimum who are all-stars. How many league minimum all-stars? Ish. League minimum ish all-stars. Did the Cubs have in 2021? Well, let's see. There was, yeah, none, none, absolutely none. Chris Bryant was an all-star. Craig Kimbrell was an all-star. Neither, neither were even remotely league minimum. Perhaps, maybe, Nico Horner might have been, had he been healthy the entire time. Maybe, yeah, maybe no. So let's see. 2023, no, 2022, next year, let's assume there's going to be a season. How many potential league minimum all-stars will the Cubs have? Maybe a reliever? Perhaps Patrick Wisdom? But they're, they're not going to have anything much more than that. The way the Cubs are going to become what the Cubs have to be to steal the mantle from the Dodgers. To steal the mantle from whoever the Rays or whoever it is. They have to have all-star type players making league minimum. Would it be useful to also possibly have Maybe a Chris Bryant comeback, or a Javier Baez comeback, or a, an Anthony Rizzo comeback. Oh, definitely, possibly, maybe. But until the Cubs churn out young player after young player after young player after young player who is really good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because other teams are going to. Other teams are going to have very good, very young players. People are going to say, this player here should be the face of the league. This guy over here looks like a generational talent. No, 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 not one of the better teams on my team in the last 25 years. No, this guy is absolutely phenomenal, and he's in his second year. Those are the types of players the Cubs need to have. The Cubs had that in 2015 and 2016 with Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and Kyle Hendricks. Anthony Rizzo is a little bit older, but he is still in basically the same ballpark. Very inexpensive, very good. The plan is locating enough talent so that some of it, some of it, going to get to the major leagues and be good. Will it be six of them? Will it be three of them? Will it be nine of them? I, I, I have no idea. I'm not that smart. Will they all be hitters? Will a couple of them be pitchers? I'm not that smart. The way to do that, though, is to not give a quarter. You have to keep pushing. We're going to try this. We're going to try that. We're going to try the other thing. We're going to do this other thing. We're going to look into this 
what about maybe this will happen? Christian Hernandez could be really good. Ed Howard could be really good. Reggie Preciado could be really good. Owen Casey could be really good. Brennan Davis could be really good. Kevin Alcantara could be really good. Or some of them may be mediocre. Some of them may wash out. But the more players that the Cubs have that look like they can possibly get it done. The more that they have that look like this guy is less of a 1 in 40 chance that it'll work for him. It's more like 15% or maybe even 30%. Adding talent in whatever fashion possible. Especially at the league minimum cost-controlled level is absolutely huge. The Dodgers have ruled the last few years because they keep bringing up guys from the minor leagues who are fantastic. Bring up another guy from the minor leagues. Here's Clayton Kershaw. Here's Walker Bueller. Here's Dustin May. And what that ends up doing is it frees up their finances because the younger players are really good in making nothing. The older players say, hey, I'm, I, I want to go play for them. And even when they get a guy who is <laughs> like Trevor Bauer or is Trevor Bauer and it completely misfires. They have enough. Well, they have enough finances to go out and spend more. But they also have enough players in the minor league system to go out and add a piece. If the Cubs ever get to the point where they have a fu fully functioning minor league system, where they have most of the answers internally answered, and all they have to do is fill out this spot or that spot or the other spot, then they'll be in good shape. If the Cubs had decided this year, we are going to try to contend and make trades in July and take that one last shot. They keep Bias. They keep Rizzo. They keep Bryant. Heck, they even keep you Darvish, maybe. But then what they'd have to do down the stretch, in July, uh, late July, the Cubs were going to have to find two or three or four good starting pitchers and to find two or three or four good starting pitchers. You know what they'd have to do? They'd have to trade Reggie Preciado. They'd have to trade Owen Casey. And they sure as heck wouldn't have been able to have added Kevin Alcantara or Pete Crow Armstrong or Killian they wouldn't have been able to add because they would have been spending their draft their 
valued prospects trying to upgrade a team that really wasn't that good. This week sucked. From losing popular players, favorite players, whoever your favorite player was on the 2016 team, very well might have been traded this week. And it was gut-wrenching. To turn the tide, to bring back the pipeline to the top third. I'm stunned it's in the top third. I'm absolutely stunned it's in the top third. And some of the trades weren't even prioritizing getting into the top third. The Cubs are close. The Cubs are very close to having a fully functioning pipeline. And whether you're going to watch or not, there are going to be some games the rest of this season. And the Cubs are probably going to lose a lot of them, which will be reflected in the league standings and the 2022 draft order. There's going to be some very bad baseball played by the Cubs the rest of this season. That said, there will be some positives. There will be some positives. Manny Rodriguez, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, Manny Rodriguez. Who knows? Maybe Jake's, Jake Jewell. Maybe toss him in. Maybe he'll be good. If you're watching, watch to see who makes sense. Who makes sense for the long term. If you want to watch, or if you want to follow Cubs baseball, but you're really kind of tired of Tom Ricketts, and you don't want to... Watch the Cubs get spanked 12 to 1. Take to the minor leagues. Take to the minor leagues. Listen to a Smokies game. Listen to a Tennessee Smokies game. Mick Gillespie is fantastic. Listen to an Iowa Cubs game. Alex Cohen is fantastic. If it happens to be a night when Elise Meneker is helping out and they're having a simulcast, on Marquee, all the better. Those two are a fantastic pairing. Pick a squad. Pick a squad. Don't even take notes the first night. Just listen. Just listen. Do I like this announcer? Does this announcer work for me? Everyone's got their own form, their own style, their own expectations. Does this announcer work for me? Do they get it done for me? Are they explaining the game in a fashion that I like? Listen to the pipeline. Listen to the pipeline. Get to know the players in the pipeline. Have your own person. Maybe you're a Jordan Wogu guy. Maybe Jordan Wogu's your person. 
Maybe you're a big Raphael Morel or Christopher Morel or you like the big thumping Nelson Maldonado. Do you. But also make sure once in a while, once in a while, to pop in on the iCubs so that Alex Cohen can tell you how the late inning relievers are doing. Because the late inning relievers are what the Cubs are doing well right now. The pipeline is being rebuilt. And part of it was a horrible week this week. I won't say it was unavoidable. Because it could have been done in different ways. But the best way, and a number of us were mentioning it. As the week progressed, come on, rip off the Band-Aid. Rip off the Band-Aid. Eventually, Jed Hoyer ripped off the Band-Aid, and the players that he has, that's the squad. That's the organization. And as I look behind me, as I look behind my sheet of paper, I see the Cubs blue pitchers for the Dominican Summer League. The pipeline is multifaceted, and I enjoy following the many facets of the pipeline. It hurts what happened this week, but as far as making things better for the future, getting players in return who most of us have never even heard of, is actually a really good strategy. A very good strategy. And that doesn't make it any hurt. That doesn't make it hurt any less. Will it work? Maybe yeah, maybe no. But if they did not do something like this, the likelihood of it working would be far less than had they done what they did. Thanks for stopping by. Be safe, be nice to others, and have a great weekend.